0: Hello, and welcome to the Vet Professionals Cat Cafe podcast series. My name is Sarah Caney. I'm an RCVS specialist in feline medicine and founder of vetprofessionals.com. I've worked as a feline-only vet for more than 25 years and have been an RCVS specialist in feline medicine for nearly 20 years. I decided to set up a virtual cat cafe during the COVID-19 lockdown in March 2020 as a way of keeping in touch with cat owners and sharing my tips on cat care. The following podcast was recorded as a Cat Cafe Zoom webinar on the 17th of December 2020 and you can watch the recording on the video tutorial page of vetprofessionals.com. Look under the helpful info menu for video tutorials and then click on the Cat Cafe tab. In this session, I talk about diabetes mellitus, and in particular, talk through the results of a recently published cat owner survey done by vet professionals. More than 700 cat owners participated in this study. Thank you so much if you were one of these. The results have helped us as veterinary professionals to better understand the perspectives and experiences of carers of diabetic cats thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. I hope you find it interesting and of help in your pet care. hello thank you very very much for joining me this afternoon um, as you can see I've sort of slightly Christmasified myself for this presentation hope you're all uh, doing well and uh, obviously I uh, hope you have uh, a lovely break in the Christmas period which is uh, upcoming after this very very challenging year indeed thank you very much for being here this afternoon and uh, I thought it would be uh, interesting to share with you some data that you have contributed to. So um, any of you that are followers of vet professionals will know that we do quite a lot of owner surveys. Um, we do some vets and vet nurse surveys as well, but we have in particular done a number of uh, cat owner surveys over the year. And these are um, studies that have been published, I'm delighted to say for the most part in really high quality feline journals. So. Um, There is information actually on the website. If you look under the survey tab, you can see survey results and there's a little snapshot of uh, the most recently published uh, papers that we have. But because we've been talking about diabetes recently, um, I thought it'd be interesting to share with you the results of an owner survey, which you may well have participated in. um, And also in the context of of recent discussions really, I think, helps to complete the picture uh, of diabetes and cats and what we know at the moment. So that's the plan for this session. Um, Before I I deliver the owner survey results, I was just going to very briefly uh, remind about some of the key points about diabetes in case you were not able to attend some of the previous sessions. Um, We'll then focus on the owner survey results. And uh, and then after that, we can have some time for uh, discussion Q&A, which um, can include diabetes, but of course, other topics uh, absolutely fine as well. And I would like to really take this opportunity to say a big, big thank you for your support, uh, not only of the surveys, um, but also of the the cat cafes. Uh, It's been really appreciated and uh, it's been a tough year for everyone. So thank you very much for your continued support of vet professionals. So let's briefly just remind ourselves about diabetes and uh, why this is, firstly, why this is such an important disease for us to know about um, and how often it is uh, seen in our cats and also how we might recognise it as a carer. So it, it is uh, a, quite a common disease in cats. You will all know something about diabetes because it's a disease talked about a lot with respect to our own health. Um, in the cat world, it is not the most common hormonal disease that cats get. The most common endocrinopathy, which is our sort of posh word for hormonal diseases, uh, is actually hypothyroidism, which affects about 10% of older cats. Diabetes, as you can see from this slide, estimated to affect a smaller proportion of cats. So about half half a percent of our patients, one in 200 cats is the approximate uh, frequency of diagnosis. And uh, actually lots of similarities in the most common form of diabetes that cats suffer from. Um, There are different uh, types of diabetes that uh, we can classify our patients into. And that's exactly the same as in human medicine as well. So we have type one, type two, type three. And actually the most common Uh, form of diabetes that we see in cats is type 2 diabetes, which is also very common in people. Um, And in all forms of diabetes, the, the main problem is that either there is not enough insulin or that the insulin that's produced is not able to work properly because of this phenomenon called uh, insulin resistance, where the cells of the body just aren't responding to insulin. And insulin is really important because it um, allows glucose to move into the cells. So if insulin uh, is not there, then it's difficult for glucose to get into the cells. Glucose should Sugar is an energy fuel. So if it can't go into the cells, the cells have to find alternative energy sources. And then that high blood glucose, that high blood sugar, because it's not going into the cells, causes all sorts of problems, including uh, very commonly the, the increased thirst that we see in our patients. So often di- diabetic cats drink maybe half a litre of water a day. They are incredibly thirsty. And type two diabetes, this uh, combination of reduced insulin production and insulin resistance is the most common form. So that affects about 80% of our diabetic cats. And the typical characteristics of our diabetic cats are often that they are middle-aged or older Um, Male cats are overrepresented um, and often uh, overweight and sedentary cats uh, are overrepresented as well. So as with ourselves, if we gain weight that can uh, lead to insulin resistance and that can lead on to uh, either cause or increase the risk of diabetes from developing. So all of these factors uh, are uh, important in increasing the risk of diabetes, but there are other factors as well. So you can see some medications like steroid medications can uh, increase the the risk for diabetes. Also some breeds have a higher predisposition um, and Burmese cats we've known for a long time, there are certain lines that are particularly vulnerable to becoming diabetic. So if you have a Burmese cat, Cat, you definitely want to keep their weight under control. Um, more recently, Tonkinese Norwegian forest cats are also on that list of at risk breeds. And if your cat does develop diabetes, then often uh, you will notice uh, a number of really common clinical signs, which include typically weight loss, in spite of often a, a normal or even increased appetite. So a lot of diabetic cats will be having a very, what might be described as a healthy appetite. They will be eating all their food and perhaps asking for more food. Some cats are incredibly hungry, but will be losing weight. And in combination with that, very commonly as well, this increased thirst, and increased volume of urine produced. And the reason for this is that that high blood sugar, um, when it uh, reaches the kidneys, um, that sugar will spill over into the urine and it takes water with it. Wherever glucose goes, it takes water with it. So you have lots of sugary urine produced, which also increases your cat's risk of a a bacterial urinary tract infection, for example. But because it's taking all that water with it uh, that means the cat is not only producing a large volume of urine but then it has to drink an awful lot to stop itself from becoming dehydrated and you might in extreme cases see your cat doing something which would uh, previously be very abnormal for it so for example uh, drinking tea from a mug on the table the cat's so thirsty that it's actually going to drink some tea Uh, or this cat is actually in the clinic and there's a jug of water Uh, this is in in the x-ray room and the cat just headed over and started drinking, which clearly is not normal. That that demonstrates we've got very, very severe uh, thirst present. If your cat uses a litter box, you might spot that there are um, more urinations per day or larger urinations when passed. Um, And this is another reason I like clumping cat litters, because you can see what your cat is doing. You can see, oh my goodness, these clumps are getting larger and larger or there's more of them in the day. It can really alert you to this sort of problem. Diagnosis of diabetes. Well, the key things are that high blood sugar and presence of sugar in the urine sample, but there are lots of other things that go into also uh, raising our suspicions of this condition. And that starts with the the history. So what you tell us about your cat at home, for example, that increased thirst and and, uh, uh, ravenous appetite and and losing weight. Um, We may also see some other clues when we examine the cat. So often uh, there will be a slightly pot bellied appearance. uh, There can be muscle loss because the muscle has had to be used as an energy source and that can make uh, or be one factor that contributes to this slightly pot-bellied appearance, but also sometimes the liver can be enlarged and that can contribute to that as well. Um, Some cats with long-standing diabetes will have problems with the nerves to their front and back legs, which can mean they are walk with a more sunken stance. Um, and uh, the, the posh words for those are palmer grade on, on the front legs and plantigrade on the back legs. So where the leg is just much more sunken down to the ground. And we confirm the diagnosis, as I've mentioned, using our blood and urine tests. And there sometimes are some complications here because in cats, stress can also affect blood sugar levels so that's the main thing to really alert you to that a high blood sugar level on its own is not diagnostic of diabetes because of this uh, so-called stress hyperglycemia stress causing an increase in blood sugar but if we do have a uh, high blood glucose and glucose in the urine it makes it very likely that our cat is diabetic and if we ever find ketones in the urine which are an alternative energy source that diabetic cats uh, will sometimes use then that also confirms the diagnosis and there are sometimes some additional tests as as i've mentioned here fructosamine is is one that we often use as well when assessing and monitoring our patients From a management perspective, uh, the best approach to treatment is a combination of things. Um, So that includes if there is a known cause to the diabetes or a known exacerbating factor that we can correct, then obviously we do our best to correct that. So if that that is that our cat's overweight, then weight loss certainly helps. Um, If there are certain medications that have perhaps precipitated uh, the diabetes and we can withdraw those, then that's great. And sometimes there are other illnesses that can cause diabetes diabetes that we can manage, that's so-called type 3 diabetes. But for other cats, for our type 2 diabetic cats, um, then the mainstay of therapy is a change of diet to a a therapeutic diabetic diet, which is typically very low in carbohydrates, so low in sugar, um, and uh, also combine that with insulin. So we're giving some extra insulin to help that body to uh, process uh, blood glucose more normally. And in some cases we can get what's called diabetic remission, which is where the diabetes does disappear and uh, often it will return at a later date, but uh, we can get to a situation where the cat is not needing insulin, which is of course wonderful when that does happen. The therapeutic diets, as I've mentioned, are the main characteristics are that they're low in carbohydrate, and often it's preferred if if you use a wet diet for your diabetic cat. And that's partly because they do have an increased fluid requirement. And because they tend to be older cats, we want to support their hydration, but also because it's quite hard to make a very low carbohydrate dry food because um, just to keep that dry kibble together, um, I'm told that the processing Requires a certain amount of carbohydrates, so it's actually quite challenging for the specialist food companies to produce dry diabetic diets that have as low a carbohydrate as as is considered currently uh, ideal. And there are other um, additives to the uh, ideal diabetic diet, or uh, that that are based on our current understanding, that we hope will help with. Uh, glycemic control, so blood glucose control, and also maintaining a healthy weight. So that includes things like L-carnitine and uh, antioxidants, for example. But many of our patients will, will need insulin long-term, and in the UK, these are the current authorised uh, veterinary insulin. So we have can insulin, uh, which is uh, an um, intermediate uh, acting insulin, and that's available in these little bottles. Um, and uh, we would then use a separate insulin uh, syringe and needle to um, load up our dose of treatment. But it also is available in what's called the vet pen, which is an insulin pen uh, you may have seen some of these with uh, people as well, sometimes use uh, insulin pens and they can be helpful for cats that need very low doses because they're very accurate at uh, uh, doing, for example, just one unit of insulin Um, and also sometimes for for people who find it difficult to handle a syringe, for example, if you have arthritis and and it's quite fiddly um, loading up a, a normal syringe. And the other insulin we have available, more recently available, is a longer acting insulin, which is generally the first choice, actually, for cats. Um, again, twice a day, and this is called Prozinc. So let's now look at the owner survey and see uh, see what we found. And I think the key thing really to say is that, uh, to my knowledge, there are not uh, many, if any, other uh, large owner surveys of um, owner experiences of uh, looking after a diabetic cat. So I'm really delighted that we were able to collate data actually from two surveys that we ran um, as student projects. So as vet student projects, I work very closely with the University of Edinburgh Vet School and uh, Professor Gunmore, uh, Danielle Gunmore, who's probably a familiar name to you, um, is the the head of the the feline department there. And we run a lot of studies together, uh, often starting off as student projects and then growing into bigger things at times. And this paper, which was published um, last year in the Journal of Feline Medicine and Surgery, which is, I think, the ideal publication for for these sort of studies, um, was actually uh, written up by one of uh, Danielle's students who uh, um, was doing a postgraduate training, so qualified vet, but doing her postgraduate training, and she won an award for this paper. So uh, it really was extremely well received, and the paper summarised results from two studies, where in total. Um, Uh, we had uh, more than 800 questionnaires to analyse, and once we'd uh, done a little bit of cleaning up, so removing some duplicates and some incomplete surveys, uh, we had nearly 750 uh, useful questionnaires, so 748 owner perspectives uh, represented in these surveys. And respondents to to this study uh, lived around the world, but primarily UK and US, so 43% from America, 36% UK. Uh, Canada and the Netherlands were the next uh, largest represented uh, countries and then there were many other countries with uh, smaller numbers of participants. So as I was saying earlier on, male cats and male neutered cats in particular often overrepresented when it comes to diabetes. And lo and behold, we can see, oh, wow, there's a real skew of the data here. 412 of the cats that were being reported in these studies were were male neutered cats, 210 female neutered. And we had a smaller number of entire male and entire female cats. So very much in keeping with our understanding of cats at risk of this condition. Um, Most of the these cats uh, had had diabetes for quite some time, which was great. So very experienced owners with quite detailed experience that were able to uh, tell us about their experience. Um, and at the time of survey submission, um, 676 of the cats were alive. So some of the data was from cats that had recently died, um, but mostly was from cats still living. And in fact, nearly 20% of the cats represented were in diabetic remission. This this situation where diabetes is diagnosed, it's treated, and it, it sort of goes in into, into hiding, if you like. It's sort of disappears. So these cats no longer needed insulin therapy. Um, many of these cats will have remained probably on a therapeutic diabetic diet, because that's also a diet which is suitable for a healthy cat. Um, but they, they didn't need additional treatment, which is great. So we asked all sorts of questions, including uh, what was discussed with the owners at the time of diagnosis. So what their awareness was of different features of diabetes in terms of of management in particular. Um, And you can see that the most frequently discussed topic no surprise really, was insulin. Uh, so this is uh, the bottom of this chart here, but you can see uh, not quite 100% of the owners, but, but certainly more than 90% of the owners, uh, insulin was very much discussed uh, with them. Um, but we also had uh, other key discussions involved, what checkups might be needed, um, dietary recommendations as well. Um, and then you can see other things that, that we asked, did they uh, have discussions on where we had a smaller, the proportion of owners that were aware of uh, perhaps these discussions so um for example hypoglycemic drugs was the least discussed but actually to me that's perfectly fine uh, because uh, any of you that tuned into the the last session we did on diabetes where we talked about treatments will know that uh, my, um, my verdict on hypoglycemic drugs, these are drugs that are intended to lower blood sugar and so as an alternative to insulin to treat the diabetes, but sadly they don't often work very well. So um, I would personally not probably talk about them very often um, unless there was a discussion of what are the alternatives to insulin. That would be the time I would probably bring that up because uh, uh, as you will imagine at the time of diagnosis, there's a lot to talk about anyway. So that's probably one of the lowest uh, priority topics from my perspective. So I think it's correct that it's up here. We also asked, well, when it came to treatment decision-making, what was most important? And um, the wonderful thing really about um, all of you that do participate in the online research is that really, without a shadow of a doubt, you are the the carer that I would want to have if I were a cat, uh, because pretty much everyone in this survey, and we've had this in other surveys as well, selected the most important thing really was what was best for their cats. That, That was, you know, the number one aim. But the VET recommendation clearly very important. So 86% of people selected that. Less important were things like the ease of treatment um, and fear of giving injections. So although those certainly were important to some people, overall a lower importance to these. Concerns at the time of diagnosis understandably um, primarily revolved around well how expensive is this treatment going to cost in terms of the long term because you don't want to start a treatment that you can't continue to support fully Um, and then also a big concern with carers was um, how do I cope with uh, if, if I'm away from home which is uh, probably has been less of an issue, I'm guessing, during 2020, because we all have been quite uh, homebound, as it were. Um, But in our normal lives, often it's normal for people to have to travel with work and obviously want to go on holiday from time to time as well. This next slide has got a lot of words on it, but I will talk you through it, Um, but essentially what it does is summarise what carers thought um, at the time of uh, diagnosis or just before treatment was started um, and also what they were now thinking or how they would now answer this question. So um, in a way it shows, well, uh, what was worrying more people at the start and and are they still worried about these things? So um, Uh, For example, we've got here at the top, um, before treatment, I thought I would find it difficult to arrange for someone to take care of my cat when I'm traveling or away. And 77% of owners were really worried about this after treatment. 55 percent worried so it's still obviously an issue for more than half of owners um you know what to do when they're away how to manage it but perhaps for certainly some of those owners uh, maybe a quarter of the owners it was never a concern a quarter of course the owners it's now no longer a concern because they found a way of managing that uh, and this study was obviously done way before covid so it's it's in in sort of normal times if you like What about the costs of uh, treating diabetes? Well, 69% were were worried uh, that the costs were high um, after treatment, uh, fewer. So still 50% of them have found the costs high. And certainly this is an illness where there's a lot of uh, monitoring required. And, And so it's not, unfortunately, a situation where you can just, for example, give an injection, off you go, that's it, see you in six months. It is quite an intensive thing to manage. So cost is is definitely an issue. Some people, uh, 41% of owners, in fact, were worried uh, before treatment uh, that treating their cat daily would interfere with their daily life and take too much time. But that dropped quite dramatically to 22% after treatment. So just a fifth of people really finding that it's quite time consuming and difficult for them. And then lastly, we had uh, before treatment, I was worried my cat's treatment would negatively impact my relationship with him or her. Uh, 40% of people agreed with that statement, um, but that very much reduced after treatment. So just 17% of owners that felt that the cat's treatment had negatively impacted on their relationship uh, with their cat. And I guess that that may be something that uh, where, for example, a cat that's been difficult to stabilise and has passed, Needed a lot of veterinary interventions, a lot of checkups, where uh, perhaps that might uh, that might have impacted on things from the owner's perspective. How were the cats treated? Um, well, again, not surprising, really. Most of the cats received insulin, uh, 93% of the cats, and most of them had insulin twice daily, which is the most frequently recommended uh, protocol. We had about a third of the cats receiving a, um, a therapeutic uh, diet that was uh, what we, in this paper, call prescription diet. So that is specially formulated by the diet companies and aimed at cats with diabetes. Um, a smaller but quite significant proportion of cats were receiving um, a low carbohydrate diet that perhaps their owner had sourced. So um, some of the initial studies um, for uh, diabetic cat stabilization actually used kitten food um, and that may have been what these people were using, which is uh, generally a a lower carbohydrate, higher protein diet. Um, But uh, they had uh, essentially uh, sourced that and made that decision themselves. Um, Very small number of cats receiving either food supplements or oral hypoglycemic drugs, um, which again, does not surprise me because uh, really the best response typically is with insulin and diet. 90% of owners were using a needle and syringe to administer the insulin and about 10% had experience with an insulin pen, which was not always uh, the vet pen that we have in the UK, but because this was an international survey, some owners were using uh, human insulin pens, so for example, uh, glargine pens. And we also asked um, how difficult they had found it to, uh, using an insulin syringe, load up the correct uh, dose of insulin for their cat. Um, And uh, this chart shows um, the difficulty ratings that owners gave um, when they did it for the first time, which is shown in yellow, compared to the the most recent occasion shown in blue. And what you can see is that actually uh, you know, more than half of the owners uh, said that it it, it wasn't difficult the first time. So they weren't really too put off by this, although you can see that the most recent occasion, it, it definitely about 90 plus percent are saying, not at all difficult. Um, and a small, smaller proportion of people either finding it varying degrees of difficulty at the start, um, but then uh, things seem to very much improve. So no one finding this very difficult. Uh, I guess those people that were finding it difficult, again, maybe uh, it, that related to the dose of the cat, the, the dose of insulin the cat was receiving. If it's a very little dose, it can be quite tricky. And also uh, if you do have yes, arthritis or any other issues which affect your ability to handle uh, a needle and syringe. And um, we also asked similarly about how difficult it was to actually administer the insulin. So this is giving the injection. Um, and uh, this is something that you can see a big change for. So again, the most recent occasion shown in blue, uh, more than 90% of owners said not difficult at all absolutely have completely sussed this technique. Uh, But you can see that at the start, uh, maybe nearly 20% of people said it very difficult. You know, this was something that uh, uh, I think a lot of people, certainly when you uh, explain to them uh, their cat's condition and talk about insulin injections, it can seem really daunting. Um, And certainly uh, many owners at the start would certainly have uh, uh, described this as, you know, off-putting, I think at the very least. We also asked about needle injuries related to uh, handling uh, diabetic diabetic cats and giving them their insulin. Uh, And actually 41% of owners had had at least one injury. Fortunately, for almost all, it was just on one occasion, which uh, again, I think is uh, perhaps not too surprising, but uh, we don't want people having injuries at all where at all possible. Um, the injuries were mainly with the insulin um, uh, needle. So the, uh, the the needle on the uh, insulin syringe is attached to the syringe. It's not a detachable needle, um, but very occasionally people were injuring themselves when uh, collecting blood glucose, doing home blood glucose monitoring, which uh, I'll talk about in just, uh, just one moment. How were the cats being monitored by their carers? Uh, well, bottom line is extremely well, um, but a number of different techniques that were being used. Um, so most commonly used were first, how much the cat's drinking, which I would always advocate monitoring in a diabetic cat where possible. I find that incredibly helpful. Also the general demeanor of cat because of the cat, rather because um, if the, the cat is feeling unwell, uh, that potentially is an indication of uh, Uh, diabetic ketosis which is an emergency situation a potentially life-threatening situation Um, so we want to keep an eye on that and similarly appetite is useful to monitor from that perspective Uh, body weight very helpful a lot of owners uh, monitoring body weight in their cat at home which is absolutely brilliant Uh, hbgm is home blood glucose monitoring and in our survey um, that was nearly 80 percent of um, the owners were doing this which is a really astonishingly high Figure, which really uh, reflects the the high caliber of uh, carers who participate in our surveys. I think if you did a a, uh, a poll of UK diabetic cat owners um, that were, you know, you met in the street, you would not find nearly eighty percent of them doing this. So it, it's uh, skewed by our our wonderfully biased, extremely dedicated um, participants in this survey. Some people monitoring amount of urine p- uh, passed in the day. Um, and some monitoring urine glucose, which tends to be less helpful in terms of um, monitoring our patients overall in terms of their insulin requirements, but it's really helpful for spotting diabetic remission where the diabetes has sort of got better. And for those people that were doing this home blood glucose monitoring, actually quite a lot of them, and again, this is a reflection of how dedicated the people that are that tend to do our surveys, we're doing this actually quite frequently. Uh, We tapped into some diabetic uh, uh, cat owner uh, social media groups and uh, uh, people um, in these groups very kindly participate. You can see they really are super dedicated, uh, doing at least uh, one home blood glucose test a day in their cats, but other people doing it uh, less frequently. And I think there's, there's not necessarily a protocol that I would force upon you if you do have a diabetic cat and want to monitor it. But if you do have a diabetic cat and are interested in home blood glucose monitoring, then this video, uh, which is one of the international cat care, I cat care uh, videos you can find on YouTube. If you search home blood glucose testing for your cat is a really nice video that uh, shows the technique. Um, and the wonderful thing is that nowadays we have these really brilliant glucometers that will measure glucose in the tiniest, tiniest amount of blood. So, I mean, in fact, this Droplet of blood on this picture, which you know looks, um, you know, quite a large droplet of blood. You could you could do I don't know how many twenty blood glucose tests at least on using a, a modern glucometer. They really just need a tiny, tiny bit of blood, which is which is great for us. What else did we find? Well, we certainly found um, some room for improvement in terms of um, clinician discussions with carers, because there were some things that I think we felt were quite important that all carers should really have awareness and knowledge about. Uh, for example, how to recognise a cat that's uh, that whose diabetes is unstable, uh, how to recognise a cat that is in diabetic remission, how to recognise hypoglycemia, low blood glucose and uh, at, uh- we found that less than half of of, uh, carers had received information on these really key topics. Um, So um, there is room for improvement, although it's a huge topic to to discuss in the vet clinic. So um, I don't want to appear too critical of the the vet clinics. Um, There's certainly an awful lot of ground to cover. Um, In this survey, there was quite a, a strong thread, actually, that many carers felt that dietary management of diabetes wasn't as thoroughly discussed with them as they would have liked. Um, And that may be partly as well because there still are some controversies as to what is the ideal carbohydrate content of the diet, what is the ideal dietary regime so that may be why it's harder to have that sort of clear cut uh, discussion. Many of the uh, people that participated in this study had done significant amounts of online research themselves. Um, So 76% of carers had found online resources themselves, which they found incredibly helpful. Um, And I guess the only shame here is that, again, it would be nice if uh, vet clinics were perhaps a bit more aware of where to send cat owners to for information on on diabetes that would provide them with the sort of high quality um, reputable advice that you would you would want your uh, carers to know about rather than perhaps uh, other advice that might not be as good. So in summary, I think the insight from this hundreds of carers of diabetic cats has been really helpful in outlining to us as clinicians, well, what really matters to a carer? What are the key priorities? What are the key concerns? And clearly, key concerns include the cost of treatment, how to manage being away from your cat with with work or holidays, um, and how to overcome that initial difficulties with loading up your insulin syringe and giving injections so it's helped us to understand really how better we can support carers um, but also we've learned uh, a lot more from these owners in terms of their perspective for example the dietary comments that I just mentioned to you perhaps we, we again we need to do more to support carers with dietary recommendations um, we could see also that uh, nearly 20 percent of the cats in this study were in diabetic remission which is really good to uh, of figure to be able to say to people, it's obviously not an unbiased population. So it's difficult to say that is the frequency with which we might expect diabetic remission. Uh, Nonetheless, it's still, I think, really useful information to hear. Um, And of course, you can see through this survey that there are a lot of uh, fabulous carers out there who are doing a huge amount to support their cats and and, uh, helping these cats to do so well. So uh, cats, very, very lucky uh, with that. So, in terms of further resources, um, uh, I would say I Cat Care International Cat Care do have some good resources on diabetes. Also, if you really want to read up on this topic, um, then the veterinary division of International Cat Care, which is called ISFM, the International Society for Feline Medicine, they have written some guidelines on management of uh, diabetes in cats, and those consensus guidelines are free to download. So, if you just googled ISFM consensus diabetes, for example, you would find them. And whilst they're written for vets and uh, and other veterinary professionals, vet nurses, um, if you have an interest in diabetes, I think you could still get a lot out of those. Beyond that, of course, uh, on my website, there are some uh, other useful resources which still fit in with the, the diabetes theme. So, for example, your perhaps a more fragile diabetic that needs support to maintain its hydration there. We have some uh, information in the free download section on how to support uh, hydration in cats that you might find interesting. And uh, of course, you're, you're welcome to uh, contact for further advice and support as need be. And Finally, before I open the floor for any sort of question or discussions, just that usual reminder about surveys, we've actually got a a new one since I I last uh, uh, came on a cat cafe, which is to do with coughing cats. Um, So if you have um, a a cat that has a chronic cough, so this is a cough that's persisted for um, typically several months or longer, uh, for example, due to asthma or bronchitis, we would really love to hear from you um, on how you have managed that cough and how it has worked for your cat and whether you've had difficulties with any of the treatments that have been administered. Um, And there is a link to that on the survey page of the website. So also if you have any friends or family that you know are looking after cats with a cough, we would really love uh, their participation in that. Uh, We still have also our survey of uh, squinty cats, cats with strabismus and nystagmus, the flickery eyes, particularly the Burmese uh, linked breeds. Um, But there is a whole whole list of other breeds on, on that survey. Survey page that uh, we're interested in your perspective about whether or not they have a, a squint or uh, nystagmus um, and thank you again for participating in, in the other surveys and uh, uh, for your wonderful support, which is very definitely appreciated. So on that note, uh, I will stop speaking at least for a moment um, and happily see if there's any questions in the chat box or uh, take any uh, discussion from you. Feel free to unmute yourself. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to this session. For more information, please visit vetprofessionals.com. You can find YouTube recordings of all Cat Cafe sessions on the video tutorials page. To find the video tutorials page, click on the helpful info menu on the home page. Don't forget that you can attend future Cat Cafe sessions live and have the opportunity to ask questions and show me you and your cat on video if you like. You can read more about how to access these sessions on the video tutorials page of the website. Lastly, if you found this podcast helpful, don't forget to subscribe and add a review. Thank you.